think the subject for today is integral health. So there are several ways of looking at um, the human body. I'm speaking right now about the body because uh, it's a vast subject. When we use the word integral, we can use it in many senses, but that would totally take us away into a different domain altogether. So there are different ways of looking at the human body. In fact, there are different ways of looking at ourself and the world. And as we look, see, understand, realize our own self, same way we look at the world and everything else. For example, when Purva says that Alokda has many good qualities, basically it is her own good qualities that she sees reflected. It's, it's, it's uh, true. At psychological level, it is very true. That whatever we have within us, we see, we can actually see only that much. So when we see only evil in the world and become very cynical, we should take a hard look within ourselves that <coughs> so there, is, there are different ways of looking at the human body and the human phenomena. <coughs> One of them which we are aware of is the anatomist view. He sees in the body or the, or the medical view. He sees in the body a bag of bones and uh, nerves and blood vessels and chemicals and all that chemistry is going on inside and we breathe, we, the heart beats and when the breath stops and the heart stops, one dies. What happens beyond that? Well, it's beyond the purview of senses, though it is within the purview of inquiry. So this is one way to look at it and we know it's the prevalent way and it doesn't carry us very far. There is still another way of looking at the human body, which uh, personally I find very helpful. It's a tool, it's an instrument. And it immediately brings into our thought, what is it an instrument for? What uses this body? And this gives us a vantage point to understand something which anatomy and physiology do not tell us. What uses this body? This simple thought can open Number of doors. Say for example, every time one gets angry, it's a force of anger that is using the body as its tool. Every time we throw words into the atmosphere which are harmful to our own well-being and of others, ill will and all the rest, I'm not talking of coarser language, we are using the voice and the vocal apparatus as a tool to express certain forces which are damaging and harmful to the well-being of the world. Every time we express movements of greed and lust, we are actually allowing our body to become a tool in the hands of various lower vital energies and movements. Every time I am afraid, we are letting fear express through the body and spread all around. What is the result of all this? The result of all this is disease. Because these are forces, energies, vibrations, if you like, of disorder, of disintegration. And when these energies express themselves through the human body, they quite naturally bring disease not only within us, but also around us, in fact, first within us. That's why uh, I always feel, you know, those who are very prone to anger, jealousies, fear, now actually they are the victims of their own fear, their jealousies and their anger because first it afflicts us, it eats us. It's like we are holding something which is poisonous, so dark and dangerous. And then we are expressing it into the world, of course it does harm, all around, but it is, first harm is done to us and we don't realize. Much later we start suffering from all kinds of disorders like 
cruel cruelty, thoughts of cruelty, unkindness. They start burning the stomach. And of course, um, doctors don't know about it. They don't talk about it. And it's not in fashion. And there are many other issues involved. Uh, we talk about empowering, empowering this, empowering that. What about empowering ourselves with the health? But is this the original purpose of the body, to become a tool of these forces? Well, in the course of evolution, these were the forces which came first. When we look at the animal kind, animals express very naturally rage and fear. Two you know, forces which very readily express themselves through animals. Then as they grow up, other more humane things start you know, manifesting themselves. So the body has been used. It was necessary at an evolutionary uh, stage in development and therefore the body has been designed, so to say, to express these energies, to express these forces and quite naturally it opens the doors to them. But if this were all, then nothing more is to be done. We have to just separate from this human body and discover our own inner deeper spiritual self. But Sri brings in a very beautiful perspective that body is meant to be an instrument first of the soul and eventually of the divine. So it's a tool. But this tool has to change into tool for something or someone far greater. Now there comes a new challenge, a new door opens. Um, whether we use the word yoga, or spirituality, all these terms uh, which, uh, you know, they have become, by human touch, they have lost their original sense. But if you just take it that the, this human body is the capacity to become a tool and an instrument for something much higher, much deeper. And in that, in turning it into an instrument suitable for these purposes, there is a work to be done. It shifts the perspective. How does it shift the perspective? Up till now, we say, I want to be healthy. Why? Because I want to enjoy life. Even, strangely, Ayurveda will tell you that. You want to lead a happy life, you must be healthy. But this is a very limited perspective. Okay, I lead a very healthy life, a rich, egoistic life, so to say, and I am healthy. Is that all? But if I have to remain healthy, so that this bodily instrument can serve a higher purpose, then it's something beautiful. And from there the doors of a new yoga start. The journey to a new consciousness. To find that which can transmute this body into something which can truly be used as a tool. Right now it is not. It is so much under the spell of unconsciousness. If you see this field is completely, almost completely unconscious. We are not aware of most of the things happening inside the body. Everything is happening mechanically, mechanically and... We don't know, we have read, we, you know, some people read books and, you know, as an anatomist, we may have cut open all the organs. And yet, <clears throat> even the most erudite scholar, doctor, anatomist, physiologist, does not know exactly what is happening inside his liver or kidney at a given point of time. You know, it's this example sometimes I use about, you know, when I compare reading spiritual books and actually experiencing the... You know, I use the term, yoga is done in real time. It's not, it's not a book journey. So I may have read all the books. I'm a physician by my training. But I can't say at a given point of time what's happening at this moment inside my liver or kidney or heart. Maybe if the heart beats a little faster, breath, one may become conscious. This body is submerged as it were in a kind of river of unconsciousness or a sea of unconsciousness. You know, this sea from which creation is emerging. This is a beautiful image in the Rig Veda. You know, Hrits Salil, the, the ocean, dark ocean, which is at the base of everything. Now, what has pulled out of this dark, un unconscious ocean up till this point, these are the gods laboring in creation who are trying their best to, you know, pull it out of unconsciousness, make it something beautiful. And this work is going on. It is not finished. Look at it this way, that from dust we have evolved up to a point where at least now we can express thoughts. Our thoughts 
already there are connections within the body which is something very interesting that our thoughts and feelings can influence matter which is wonderful but still the work is half done shubindu uses a very beautiful phrase that this is an occult mysteries workshop or if we like it's a laboratory this is the most complex laboratory it's a living laboratory nature's laboratory and we are all participants in it engaged in it every thought every feeling is impacting it all the time and a work is going on an occult work mysterious work and what is this work which is going on it's to eventually transmute it to evolve it to take it to the next grade of evolutionary level and that should be the perspective for health it's no point just remaining healthy so that i can you know remain happy and live very long all right live very long and probably you know uh, everybody is very unhappy and tired about my living long that also happens people are waiting ki kab jayenge dada ji lekin dada ji hain ki hum nahi jate ad gaye hain it's it's no point living like that the idea of longevity or a healthy life is so that this body can become a tool in the hands of the divine it can become his float it can become his sudarshan chakra it can become flower in his hands you know these are beautiful images which means there is a long journey first it must become conscious you know these so simultaneously we see there are two kinds of forces working there as i said first unconsciousness even falsehoods which which originally the body does not express falsehood readily it unconsciousness yes very unconscious but the mind and the vital bring lot of falsehoods inside the body poor fellow doesn't know you know it they just impact it bring into it and therefore a time comes when on one side these are the forces the four asuras the mother speaks of that i'm sure everybody has heard the story falsehood unconsciousness disintegration death suffering they are so the body doesn't naturally feel ananda therefore it needs artificial things and the more we go into darkness the more artificial things we need and the more artificial things we take to bring some joy the more darkness we, we go into you know it's like those who take start alcohol and say ah i get pleasure but they go more and more into it after some time they take alcohol because they don't want pain so it you know it's a vicious cycle in which we are caught what is the solution to discover the natural spring of joy within us there is such a spring of joy so on one side these are the forces which are uh, as if you may say the forces of darkness which are using this tool which is meant for something else on the other side there are the gods laboring in creation you know the atriya upanishad speaks about these gods who have plunged into this bodies alleys blind to use shubindu's phrase and they are working day and night that's why when we sleep at night we sleep with a heavy head most of the time we'll get up in the morning and we say ah it's okay past is past ho gaya chalo aaj theek hai aaj naya din hai subah hogi zindagi milegi dobara you know because basically what has happened at night at night all these uh, gods have cleared up this is a interesting activity which goes on every why do the why are the gods interested in you know both both these forces are interested in the body because uh, it has something in it which is not found anywhere else human body now i'm speaking of that it has in it the psychic touch god touch that is the paraswani we'll see in many movies they are in search of that touchstone for which all the forces are rushing to occupy to possess we don't realize the importance of our own body but these guys know they know that well there is something hidden out there so every day every night all these forces are impacting and they are at war with this within us and the battlefield is the body so another way we can look at the body is that it is a battlefield it has become a battlefield where all these forces are fighting now we have to decide which side are we by by we means my central point whatever i i'm not using the word psychic that's when we discover it but where which side i put my weight onto 
You know that little story that one of the tribal stories where a father tells his son, you know, every day there are two wolves fighting, a dark wolf and a bright wolf. So both are equally strong. And the son says, Dad, who's going to win? He said, whomever you feed. Whomever you feed more. So then it changes the perspective that whom have I fed today? Which wolf have I made stronger? The bright ones or the dark ones? Every thought that is dark, pessimistic, full of uh, self-hurt, and ill will and harm of others is I am making the other one fat. And after some time they say, okay, this fellow is a good fellow, he is feeding me nice things. So they settle into the body and their name become hypertension, diabetes, cardiac, uh, fanciful names. But actually they are the ones whom we have fed. And then they become strong. This is a whole different way of looking at it. Alright, so what is to be done about it? How do we participate or collaborate? This, this battle is going on within this field of nature in the body and what do I do? That's the important aspect of it. It's very easy to say, think positively. That's the easiest advice which anyone can give. It's a free advice. You know, when somebody is in a state of depression and we tell the person, you know, you must think positively. It is, I can tell you, it can be very hurtful. We don't realize the impact. The person says, of course I know. <laughs> I can't. I can't help it. You know, it happens, no? When sometimes people give an advice, they don't realize that, well, uh, it's not that it's falling on deaf ear. There are many issues, you know, I, I know it. And when you know something and you are not able to do it, it can be very painful. So what is to be done? So let's touch, first of all, when we have to cleanse a room, what do we do? You must light the lamp. Otherwise, we'll be like Mullah Nasuruddin's story that he's searching something in, under the lamppost. And somebody says, Mullah ji, kya dhund rahe ho? He says, Sui gir gai hai dhund rahe ho. Achha, mili, nahi mili. Kahan giri thi kuch yaad hai? Arre, giri toh us kamre mein thi. Us kamre mein giri thi, aap yahan kyo dhund rahe ho? Arre, light hai na, is liye dhund rahe ho. So, कहता है disciple की तो आप वहाँ light क्यों नहीं जला लेते आप वहाँ light जलाओ ना वहाँ ढूँढो मुल्ला जी कहते हैं तुम भी तो यही कर रहे हो बेटा light है जला नहीं रहे हो तो हमारे पास जो light जली हुई है वो mind का एक छोटा सा lamp हम उसी में सब कुछ ढूँढ रहे हैं but there is another light which we have to switch on and then we will start looking at the body in a different way. Otherwise, we'll just read about it. Oh, there are vibrations, there are forces at play, and this is very good intellectual knowledge. But to make this knowledge real and living, we must light the lamp. And that lamp is the psychic being. So another way to look at the human body is that the human body is the mantle. Mother and Shubhinda have used this wonderful you know, expression. It's a mantle. And when you light the lamp, then this mantle goes, glows. So it's a mantle. And without lighting the lamp, if you do all the cleaning and everything, there are a lot of techniques nowadays which have come. But they don't talk about lighting the lamp. So it doesn't become a temple. You may have a very bhavya space and everything. But where is the deity? Without the deity, it's not a temple. This deity must be awakened. Still asleep inside. Then the whole thing changes. So body can also be looked upon as a temple. It's the first temple. And very beautifully, divine has hidden himself inside this temple. And <coughs> Stuart Bindu with his, uh, you know, wonderful sense of humor. Savitri is full of humor. At one place he says, God's last refuge from thoughts profaning touch. So he has hidden himself here. <laughs> so man is searching everywhere. He goes to this temple, that temple, but he's here, right there. He's amusing himself, having a lot of fun. But he wants us also to have the fun. <laughs> but we don't know. We are, we, you know, 
become so serious. Anyways, that's a different area. But this is a temple. Now we clean the temple, everything fine. But without lighting the lamp. So this is the first necessity. <coughs> Several places, one of the message of the mother, find your soul and all your difficulties will disappear. I know a human being, he, plenty of experiences people have. And he said, I asked him, why did you come to the ashram and you know, how did you end up settling? It's a very interesting story, you know, to hear these uh, ancient tales. So he told me, <clears throat> he said, you know, I just came like that on a tour. So you stayed on. He said, I was having a lot of problems in life. Physically, emotionally, socially and everything. So, I came casually to the ashram also. And I read this line from mother. Find your soul and all your problems will disappear. So, I said, this is what I am looking for. So, he stayed on. So, he had been in the ashram for 30 years. And went through a very tough patch in, in which eventually grace helped him, but that apart. So I asked him the next logical question. So, you found your soul? He said, sir, that I am still finding. But my difficulties have disappeared. <laughs> that for sure. I said, that was a bonus. Even the effort to find it. I mean, the, the thing is even the effort. Swalpamasya, dharmasya. Even a little effort to discover that is worth it. Because it changes. As we grow near and near, it changes, you know, um, how it changes the whole perspective and vision of things. We very often we'll see, now this, this become trendy, you know, fusion, fusion music. So there's fusion medicine. Fusion medicine is what you go to a homeopath and say, I have got diabetes. Yes, I have got a very good medicine for diabetes. Now with all due regards, homeopathy doesn't work like that. It's not meant to work like that. Homeopathy is meant to, doesn't look at diseases as diabetes and sinusitis and, isn't it? It looks at the whole person, that's its beauty and that's its wonder. So we should not reduce it to a fusion medicine where, you know, uh, because it's trendy. You know, if you say, yes, I've got a medicine for diabetes, then it sells. But if I say, no, diabetes doesn't exist in my vocabulary. I speak to you and I see you as a person. And then I will treat you. That's wonderful. But nobody has patience. So similarly when the divine looks at it, he looks at things very differently. You know, we may say, I have, Lord, I have blood pressure, please cure my blood pressure. But he looks at it as various forms of imbalances in the system. And he starts working upon that. Mother Shubhinda at one place says that yogic force works so much like homeopathy, it goes to the root of things, brings it out from the roots, cleanses it from there. So the whole perspective begins to change as we grow closer and closer to our own deepest self. We discover that, well, I used to look at things in this way, but the needle has shifted. Certain things which I would say, you know, are um, horrible in life and start getting depressed about it. When this shifts needle, then we say, ah, this is a wonderful grace. Don't we sometimes after five years or ten years look back and say, ah, this was a beautiful moment of my life, it changed my destiny. But at that moment it looked so terrible because the needle has shifted. So this art of shifting the needle, but to shift the needle we must discover that space. She says very beautifully, you know, that if a storm is raging outside, what do we do? We enter the room and come inside and close it. You know? Sometimes people have this lovely experience that they are inside a nice building and lot of huge waves are rising and gushing against the door or the house, but nothing is happening. They are remaining untouched. It's, you know, waves of the world forces, but they are safe and protected inside. So she says, but you must open it every day to try to open it. So every day if you really want to remain, first of all the goal must change, that health not just so that I can enjoy a rich egoistic life, but because I want to serve the divine. In fact, Sri says these are the three 
difficult areas for the new consciousness. Three things must be conquered. If we want the new consciousness to establish itself and the new manifestation to take place. One he says politics, second he says money and third he says health. Three things which are important. Because they are the basis. The body is the basis for the fulfillment of the dharma. This is another way of looking at it. Without the human body we can't even meditate. Such is the importance of the body. Progress takes place within the body. So for this reason one should want to be healthy. This is the first step. Then we must light up the lamp, drive away unconsciousness. There is so much unconsciousness inside it. Of course we can do a certain preliminary work. If there is too much of tamas, then tamas brings dis disintegration. That's why, you know, joke is okay when people say that, you know, uh, rest helps, so therefore I do not work. But the fact is that if you lie all the time in the bed, the forces of disintegration, tamas take over. It's a known thing that if you are lying most of the time, blood pressure tends to shoot up. It's, it's interesting. Whereas if you take regular walks, it regulates it. Simple things, because it opens the doors to tamasic forces, whose purpose is to disintegrate. They say, this fellow is useless, let us, you know, uh, they become active. Sometimes they can even make a house and make the body live long, simply because they like it, okay, they made a little shelter, like white ants, but that apart. This body has to, the tamas can be removed by a certain amount of rajas. This is a preliminary work. Rajas can be balanced by bringing in the principle of sattva. Balanced life, moderation, all this we know, it's there. But there is something else which is needed. And that something else is the psychic light. This, that flame, that must be lit. It's not enough just to have a principle of balance and moderation. It's alright if the goal is just to remain healthy and you know, or moksha. But here the goal is something different. A greater light, something deep within us, that needs to be lit and that is the psychic lamp. So every day if we spend a few minutes in just trying to make, make this discovery. And so much Mother and Shubhinda have written about it and you know, I'm not going into it because it's a subject in its own right. But the first concrete step towards integral health, apart from all this preliminary work which is exercise and you know, balanced life and moderation etc. etc is to really bring forward the psychic essence. This is the first concrete step. Before that, it's, it's all good, but preliminary work. It's like cleansing the temple a little bit. But it's not enough. So, And all that we know, it's there in plenty of books, so I'm not going into it. But what is unique to Sri and the Mother is to light up this lamp and let it influence, begin to influence different parts of our nature. If it influences the mind, we'll see that many of the thoughts which actually end up, the end, receiving end is the body. These thoughts which eventually influence the body in strange ways, stranger than we can imagine, they begin to get cleansed by this light. Feelings, our emotions, it's strange. We may use words like good emotions, bad emotions, but they all impact the body. So how cleansing of this area, showing us the dark spots, removing unconsciousness, simply when unconsciousness is removed, then we become aware that yes, what was happening? How could I think like this? How could I feel like that? And yet it was there. But the moment unconsciousness is removed, we begin to see it clearly. And then there is an action of this flame and it begins to remove it spontaneously, naturally. If this flame is lit, then as I said, half the work is already done. We then don't have to tell a person think positively. Because he cannot but think positively. It's natural. It becomes our nature, inbuilt nature. We naturally have beautiful feelings inside. Feelings of love, sweetness, warmth, care, kindness. Then we don't have to say separately, checklist. This feeling hai ki nahi, ye hai, kuch nahi. So it's important to touch this point and various ways we can touch it and there are many, many methods and uh, ways and say, attitude, it's a, it's a search most important, more than any method or way or process, it should become a preoccupation of our life. It's, 
paradoxical that instead of thinking of 101 things, if we can think of this one thing, it strangely starts putting everything else in place. It's like an automatic something within us which starts putting things in place, changes our situations, our circumstances, they begin to change. How we don't know, as if a magic key has been found. And whenever we, there are storms, we can just enter into and just stay quiet till the storm abates. So this should be the first thing when we speak about integral health. Then comes next. So next, how to cleanse. Right now, so many forces had their field day with this body. What do we do now? You know, very often people say that, you know, I regret, I was like this, I was like that, or I am like this, I did this, I did that. What do I do now? Well, open the tab and take a bath. Don't lament. I fell in the mud. Well, everybody falls in the mud, it's okay. You have fallen in the mud now, don't keep stomping the mud and say, you are bad or I am bad and lie there and lament and write poetry on our tragedy. This is the stupidest thing to do. If you realize you are in the mud, get up, as Shobinda says, Niroda asked him. So he says, well, if you have fallen down, doesn't matter, get up, shake the dust, go inside and cleanse yourself, simple thing. But from childhood we learn to look at the floor and stomp the floor, say, Gandhi, what is this teaching, you know, I have never understood. (laughs) To start with, poor fellow, you know. No, no fault of that, if I slipped and fell. Always there has to be somebody to blame. No, either God or mud or somebody. I am not responsible for myself. Somebody outside me is responsible, because then it's easy. <laughs> Whereas the need is to work upon oneself. So, the first thing is that, okay, fine. We must know how to cleanse ourselves. And for cleaning, there is a very nice story and then a simple method. Story is about Hercules. We all know the seven tasks of Hercules. <coughs> so, so he was given one of the tasks was to clean the Aegean stables. And you know the stable had thousand horses. <laughs> so if you start cleaning from the one horse, by the time you have come to the thousand horse, the first horse started dirting it again. So how do you clean the entire stable in a way that it really looks clean at a given point of time? So, our Hercules was the ancient version of our Honorable Prime Minister Modi ji. He said, Narmada Rasta Mordo. So, he said, okay, if I divert this river onto the stable, I don't have to worry about it. The water will cleanse everything. You know, we start picking things and purifying and working on this area, that area. You don't need that. Very long process. The simpler process is divert the river and you will see that, ah, whole stable is cleaned with minimum effort. So today is the fast, uh, these days it's like fast food. So similarly fast purification process. (laughs) Of course it's a painful I mean, how much ever fast you may do, it takes a few years. But at least, the process should be right. So what we need is, there is an ocean, not just a river. Of peace, light, luminous force. And all that is needed is to open the channels. And to open the channels, what Mother and Shubhinda have done, they have opened all these paths. All that they say is that, okay, now you at least open the tap. Everything will crash. This was the problem of transformation. You know, Savitri speaks about it when Ashupati says that I don't want it for myself, I want for earth. And what does the Divine Mother tell him? She says that, you know, man is too weak to bear the infinite's weight. Truth born too soon might break the imperfect earth. She says, okay, you let it be born, I'll put little taps. So something I leave in their hands, so that they, they are not, it doesn't crash. So what is in their hands to open? If you read, you know, people say Shurabindo's yoga is very difficult. I have, 
have not found in a yoga, and I must tell you, having read in all the yogas of different kinds, eastern, western, even the modern ones like hot yoga and nut yoga, all kinds of things have come up nowadays. So after reading all those, you know, I can tell you this is the easiest of yogas. Why? What is to be done? Open to the mother. That's it. Now, this is, can't be simpler than this. Open to the mother. <coughs> Surrender yourself to her. Give yourself to the divine. What? So wonderful. Probably it's so easy that we can't believe it. So by opening ourselves to this higher regions of light and peace, we start naturally like Hercules cleansing the Aegean's tables. Only we change the name of Hercules to Her Kuli. Her and we become her coolies. So we, we just open the tap and it starts. Mother uses a very interesting uh, word for it. Self-dynamizing meditation. So she, she was asked what, what is the difference. She says one meditation is when we go inside and we enter a state, a beatific state of passivity. And we come out of it unchanged. It's very nice, beautiful. We enter a space, as this is, sacred space, all kinds of terms. And it's nice, it's a good thing, we feel very good. But when we come out and step out of the room, the first fellow who meets us or greets us, or simply, shoes are not in my place, and the meditation is left inside the meditation hall. Now the problem is, who has touched my shoes? So this meditation doesn't change anything. It's, it, it's not without its utility. It has its utility like, you know, good rest has its utility. So it's good to time to time, you know, withdraw into that inner state. If one wants, it's okay. But self-dynamizing meditation is of a different kind. It is an invocation, a prayer, an aspiration, a call, which seeks... It's not just sitting and entering into a passivity, but, but a call. Very peaceful, full of trust. Mother, come. Or light, peace. Let it come and enter into our being and cleanse the whole thing. It's marvelous. Initially, whatever be the difficulty initially, but once the doors are open, it takes a few moments to cleanse. It's amazing. Of course, we are incorrigible creatures, like Sri Ramakrishna's fable that, you know, when he was asked, Nahane se Ganga mein paap dhul jate hain? bilkul dhul jate Phir log kyun aane ke baad phir paap karte hain? It's a very different, simple reason hai. Ganga mein nahane jate hain, paap ke kapde bahar chhoad ke jate hain. Aate hain, wapas usko pehen lete hain. He's pointing to a very profound truth that out of habit, the mechanical parts of our nature invite back the force and once the, the darkness. And once it comes in again, it has the tendency to climb up. So that's how the whole seesaw process of sadhana goes on. That it's cleansed. When it's cleansed, it's a cleansing. Of course, there is also has to be openness and receptivity at every level. But even when it's cleansed, because of habit, there is a tendency for the body to bring it back and once it comes in it comes as a thoda sa to hai kya hai usme it's a small little i am not going to be like that old fellow it's just a little indulgence to wo bas shuru hota hai wahan se dheere dheere wo all big is back again so this this is the process it goes on till finally you know everyone goes through these fluctuations it's not unique to a person. The Vedic Rishis use the word night and day. Till a time comes when, as the Vedic Rishis put it, both night and day suckle the divine child. 
it grows strong through both even in the darker parts there is more and more light because there is greater invocation more depth opens so on and so forth this goes on this process of harmonizing the entire being and then of course the final victory or the supramental transformation of which we need not speak right now but this is the approach towards integral health it's not about simply have good thoughts good feelings and you know your thoughts and feelings impact us all that is there it's all uh, old stuff but the first thing is to light the lamp and to cleanse this body which is full filled with dust of centuries tendencies attitudes habits ways of life which we accept and make our own shubhendra says very interesting we need not accept we can refuse you know this uh, in india we experience this no uh, everything for us is decided by somebody else <laughs> it's either <laughs> now times are changing which is good otherwise it was like parents samaj society teachers everybody is deciding and so it tends to either finish the individuality or it uh, brings in hypocrisy so typical example was pehle bacche smoke karte the parents ko lagta tha mera beta nahi smoke karta hai wo kya karte dekh ke ji chupa diya ya phek diya now this this kind of a thing breeds so we can make our own choices that why should i do what i should do and there we can refuse there are movements of nature which we can refuse now what happens when we refuse we may not always succeed but we must keep refusing persistently and if we can continue with this process then one day some parts it works wonderfully but certain tendencies it may not work immediately it may take months years and we must persist and persevere shubhendra writes very beautifully in fate you know o king fate is truth working out in ignorance o king thy fate is a transaction done at every moment between thy nature and soul man can accept or he can refuse his fate now what happens we refuse but still it comes so he says even if the unseen maintains the decree yet he writes thy refusal in his credit page for doom is not a close a mystic seal arisen from the tragic crash of life arisen from defeat and death the spirit writes is mightier with each defeat its god like wings grow wide with every fall why i'm saying this is this this need to be a fighter inside you see people sometimes say you know i have seen this dealing with patients who are terminally ill kya fayda ji cancer ho gaya ab to no fight fight inwardly if not for yourself may this disappear at least let this thought be there so one may say par kya hua wo to chala gaya chala gaya bahut bada kaam karke gaya matter ko receptive bana ke gaya isi tarah se thoda thoda kaam karke ek din ye approximations lead to victory no ben was we always say first flight kisne kiya oliver and wilbur right nahi first flight was by the man who conceived that flight is possible in modern days it was leonardo da vinci in ancient days it was the seer poet valmiki you know this people fight over pushpa guman tha ki nahi are it's irrelevant tha ki nahi tha what is relevant is somebody could conceive imagine 17000 years back somebody could conceive that there could be flying planes i find it amazing tha ki nahi tha it's a question of technology i mean it's it's not important somebody could conceive there could be nukes on an arrowhead you wonder whether the person is living was living in the past or seeing future 10 15 20 000 years ahead literally when you talk about brahmastra you talk of nukes on an arrowhead now we have nukes missiles tomorrow technology can compress it into just a small little arrow 
we don't know so you know this whole thing even at the mind even at the level of the idea not to give up even if the result is certain death even if the result is definitely this won't happen still we must always fight it's not about ourselves it's about the victory of the divine upon earth it's wonderful to uh, you know go this way at least it creates a ground and one day the when the ground is ready suddenly there is a bursting forth of various remedies and people discover that oh it was it's so easy to cure this this disease because there were people who laid their lives who didn't mind passing through this so always we can refuse this is given to us the result may not be ours but refusal and acceptance is our own some people give up they say are nahi hota gussa mera control nahi hota and they keep on adding years and years and years and you know sometimes i have been surprised I, you know you meet somebody 10 years back and the person says this ye mere andar ye hai problem ab i can't help it so after 10 years the person says the same thing and sometimes i wonder ki 10 saal pehle agar isne ye nahi bola hota bola hota nahi control hota main koshish karu to shayad abhi tak chala gaya hota it would have been out but at any point we can start doesn't matter because at least this stamp will be there on the consciousness when we come back we come back already with a credit score credit he writes thy credit he writes thy refusal in thy credit page so at least credit page mein to dal dena chahiye koi zaruri nahi hai ki isi janam mein sara bhagwan de de yesterday i was speaking about divine development bonds let us invest in divine development bonds with interest we'll get it back so this too much result oriented kya ho raha hai kya ho raha hai you know it brings lot of fear it brings lot of anxiety so when we aspire we pray and we don't get immediate results we get so disturbed then we rush here and there maybe i made a mistake no it's the right thing to do it doesn't matter as long as we are doing the right thing it doesn't matter to trust ourselves in the hands of the divine he look into it and he is looking into it and then life becomes a marvel and unfolding so these are some of the thoughts on this um, this is a very vast subject as i said it includes many things but this is the way i understand it from a yogic perspective because you know we are all we, we don't have to discuss about whether divine exist or not as this is an audience which is sensitized uh, in a medical forum we can't uh, speak directly psychic being so we'll say there is within us some wonderful space <laughs> so <laughs> that much but basically if we are already aware then we should take this route towards an integral health and always to um, to strive you know we mother says very simply that uh, it's disharmony imbalance that creates illnesses and shurbindo is mahavakya in the life divine and uh, at different places he has reiterated this ultimately all problems of existence are problems of harmony say one of the um, mahavakyas worth meditating upon they will reveal layers and layers of meaning it's one of the simplest of you know shubhendu's sentences can be very long <laughs> but look at it in the live divine there is another very marvelous phrase in the live divine and yet there is a beyond it opens many doors don't give up there is something more something more something else don't stop at some experience some realization yet there is a beyond this is very important for those who give lectures to remember because you know lectures lecturers speakers can easily fall into the trap of believing that they know it all because they have read and they can speak so it's good to remember always to keep it written somewhere and yet there is a beyond beyond all that voice can express beyond all that thought can conceive beyond all that mind can fathom know understand beyond all that the heart can feel or sense and love there is a beyond and then it opens the doors to infinite 
infinity. Ultimately, that is the goal, to make the finite one with the infinite. To make movements in time attuned to the rhythms of the eternal. That is the supreme harmony. Harmony is not about, okay, adjust and accept. And this, again, we have human understanding of everything. Harmony is but harmony is not about tolerating, accepting, these are all. Harmony is about being in tune with the rhythms of the eternal, the eternal pulsations which give birth to time. To think what the divine wants me to think, to feel what the divine wants me to feel. Wants is a, you know, not the best word, but still. To be moved by the breath of the divine. To dance to the tune of the divine, the body should become such a harp that it responds to the divine touch. And as a corollary, just does not refu- just refuses to respond to any other touch, which is uh, to use a word undivine. It's not the right word, but but something which is no more necessary, which belongs to a past stage of evolution, because it is it is divine at another stage of evolution. Because eventually, all is the divine, but. Essentially, for it to respond directly to the divine will, divine touch. You know, this year, this month's bulletin has come. Some of us may be having an access to it. Bulletin that, you know, four times a year it comes out. Please read this uh, 24th November bulletin. There is a whole correspondence of Shorabindo with the disciple. And so beautifully, Shorabindo says that, you know, about a particular lady, he says. He says that, yes... Uh, if you approach her with these thoughts, she will naturally feel repulsed and shut you off without knowing why. Because spontaneously within her, she has, because of an inward concentrated state, it spontaneously repels anything which is not in tune with the divine, not in harmony with the calling. That should be the state of evolution. Even the body can respond to that spontaneously. Mother gives such beautiful examples that she is you know, going to step out of the car and suddenly she senses and there is the snake waiting just for her to step. Another example, when she is crossing the road and inwardly concentrated, look how psychic life can influence us in even the very body. And she says that suddenly she literally felt a jolt and jumped backward and the tram passes by. Otherwise, one could be run over. So this, this is not that, you know, psychic life is different, spiritual life is different, it's only for meditation, whereas physical, mental, vital life are another field. No. When this is, this is touched, it gives us the spontaneous indications, the spontaneous, that's why it's, the word used is, it brings into the mind the right thoughts, into the feeling, the right and just emotions, into the body, it brings harmony spontaneously. Because we have lost that harmony. Children have this spontaneous uh, kind of instinctive knowledge. And mind, because of the mind and vital, we lose it. But to bring it back, we have to open the door to this psychic essence, this flame. And allow the body to be baked in it. So these are some of the, as I said, uh, preliminary thoughts on integral.